Hello and welcome to CAD Speaker Series Podcast. This week, CID Student Ambassador Alexandra Gonzalez interviews Jamie Butcher, Executive Vice President of Chromonics. Jamie talks about the role Chromonics plays in international development and their current global health supply chain, procurement and supply management program with USAID. Welcome, Jamie, to the CID podcast. You have an impressive career in international development, and we are very glad to have you here with us. Thank you. Could you introduce yourself to other our audience and tell to the listeners about your background and your career at Chemonics? Sure. So I started in Chemonics uh, in 1998 and um, actually started as a, what we called stringer at the time. It was a, a temporary position. Uh, I was really fascinated by the work being done and over the last 20 years have had tremendous opportunities. I, I've actually had the opportunity to live in Bosnia for a while in Armenia and do some of the work we do uh, firsthand. And I've had the opportunity to uh, be an executive with the organization now for more than 10 years and work in Europe and Eurasia, Africa, Asia, and many of the more than 80 countries uh, we work in throughout the world. Jamie, could you tell our listeners uh, in a nutshell what Chemonics is and what is the role of Chemonics in development? Sure. So Chemonics was founded in 1975. Um, we were founded with a mission of working uh, on international development related work and have uh, been working with USAID primarily ever since. Uh, we're an employee owned organization. Um, we have offices uh, at any one time in more than 80 countries uh, and we um, have the vast majority, over 90% of our staff, our local professionals that we hire uh, and work with on the contracts that were awarded um, to support U.S. foreign assistance goals. Great, thank you. How has development aid evolved during the last decades and how has been the role of uh, Chemonics in promoting development? So I think some of the, the goals of development have remained completely the same. Uh, since uh, USAID was founded in the early 60s um, with John F. Kennedy. I, I think in other ways, um, the, the changes I've seen have really been around the way in which the work is carried out. When I first started at Chemonics, we had a daily uh, fax. I feel old saying that, but it's true. Where at the end of the day, in our field office, we would fax all of the information and questions back to the home office and then the team would work throughout the next day to answer them and fax the answers back on a daily basis and over time of course uh, our teams have become more and more connected uh, now the, they work seamlessly together not just with Washington and the field offices but the field offices themselves working with one another and I think that's led to a profound change that I'm really excited about and, and proud to be a part of which is doesn't include me at all. It actually is that uh, one thing about our, our programs is that we have more than 90% of our staff are local professionals, people that have um, grown up and, and gotten educated uh, uh, either overseas or in their communities and have uh, decided to stay and, and work to develop uh, their countries and their communities. And um, that change, uh, I can see it from both a standpoint of uh, looking at the statistics of our, of our employee 
uh, labor, but also just from the standpoint of how we carry our work out. Um, one thing about Commonics, we don't have offices that are fixed or, or long-term. We, we tend to open an office when we win a, a contract, hire our staff, and we try to work ourselves out of a job. And I think the best way to do that is through these highly talented uh, local professionals that are joining our project to do the work that we're contracted to do and to then, uh, when we're done, uh, close up our, our office and, and leave a sustainable system or um, set of, of tools or individuals or, or whatever the goal is behind. Um, that's the current direction, by the way, that the USAID administrator is setting out for USAID as well, um, Bastard Green, and I think he's absolutely right. The goal of USAID and the goal of Commonics is to really work ourselves out of a job. And I think at the um, heart of that is really looking at some of the places where we've actually had the opportunity to work in countries at a transitional point uh, with their economy or a development point, and then at the end of the day, uh, move on. I mentioned Bosnia, for instance. Much of the work that we did in the early 2000s and, and uh, early part of this decade uh, has been transitioned. And although there's a USAID program in Bosnia still, it's much smaller than it was uh, when I lived there in 2002 and 2004. And much of the work's been handed over to highly uh, skilled and uh, adept Bosnian professionals who are carrying that on through commercial practices, through uh, sustainable models. And, and I think that's the goal across the board and the, and the change that I've seen um, with uh, engagement of, of local professionals and local organizations in a more sustainable and, and meaningful way. Great. And this international presence of Chemonica has actually um, allowed you to win one of the largest procurement USAID uh, programs in history. It's called the Global Health Supply Chain Program. Uh, it's worth around $10 billion and it's present in 62 countries. Could you talk about this program and how Chemonic is, is applying technology, data analytics, and private sector approaches to make uh, uh, health supplies more accessible and affordable to millions of people around the world? I'd be happy to. So GHSC is the umbrella contract that USAID put together to integrate their supply chains. Um, our portion of that is, is the largest portion is called Procurement Supply Management, PSM. So I'll refer to PSM as I'm um, talking about the work we do. Um, as you said, we're in over 60 countries now providing health commodities uh, that range from HIV uh, commodities to malaria to reproductive health, maternal and child health, um, infectious emerging infectious diseases like Zika and others. and. Um, in doing that, uh, we have a large global platform that we've created to support our mission. Um, we work with over 300 manufacturers. Uh, we have a catalog system that allows uh, the USAID missions and, and our field staff to enter uh, their commodities that they want to have us procure and, and supply. Um, and we've built a an MIS system in general to manage that global supply chain from the point of um, orders, which are at the national level, all the way to the point of, de of delivery, which is typically at a central warehouse. Um, having said that, we also work in, of those 62 countries, 37 of them uh, where we have field offices or field presence. And in those countries, we support ministries, um, NGOs, other organizations that are working on the in-country supply chain 
And uh, while we may or may not deliver the commodities to those countries, we work also on supporting the development of the in-country supply chains so that from the point of the central warehouse, commodities can be distributed out to service delivery points uh, in the most effective manner possible. And so when you talk about technologies that we're using or commercial practices, um, we're using them both in the global supply chain that we operate, but also in supporting uh, the operation of local supply chains as well. And I think both are, are equally important. One thing that we've done that has been um, indicative of both our work on the global supply chain and the in-country supply chains is that we've deployed a fourth-party logistics model. It's called 4PL. And um, in that model, we haven't gone and contracted with one logistics provider or another, but rather we've run competitions to award certain shipping lanes, uh, warehouse responsibility, trucking, and uh, air shipment to uh, different providers, either globally or locally. So globally, we have um, 3PL, third-party logistics providers, that we work with. Um, by doing, by taking a 4PL approach, we've uh, actually expanded the reach of the program. If we had just contracted with one provider or another, we would have been limited to their um, infrastructure. So we've actually allowed the program to have much greater reach. And we believe we brought down the price of the logistics costs um, significantly so that we can buy more commodities for the money that we're provided. And I think that's a really important point. Our incentive uh, in doing this work is not to um, create higher prices or, or um, have a profit on the commodities. We, do, we don't take any um, fee or anything on the commodities we provide. Our, our entire incentive is to bring the cost of the commodities and the logistics costs to, to provide them down. And this 4PL model is being deployed globally, and we're starting to see that happen. Um, locally, we've also um, taken an approach to competing the logistics of the supply chain in places like Nigeria and Ghana. Um, in Ghana, for instance, we had bed nets that we provided to over 600 locations, and we did that by competing the um, logistics and uh, trucking and warehousing throughout the country and were able to um, deliver more than 1.2 million bed nets in four weeks, which is quite an accomplishment. And I think it was done by harnessing the power of the entire infrastructure in Ghana. It's just one example of many of where we've taken this pro approach of using all of the services available and using good contracting methods to access them through a competitive award basis. Great, so you've mentioned some of the uh, good impacts that the program is having. What are also the challenges that, that you face? So when we started in January of 2016, we basically had uh, a responsibility to set up the infrastructure, meaning um, all of the contracts with the manufacturers, the um, regional distribution centers where we pre-position our commodities um, and our, our country offices that we have around the world. Um, and we inherited um, a number of those contracts and those um, agreements from the previous uh, supply chain providers. And in doing that, we uh, were able to establish this global operation in a, a quick time. We did, however, have some challenges at setting delivery dates uh, early on when we were doing a small number of deliveries in the first quarter 
of uh, fiscal year 2017, we had set some delivery dates that were inaccurate and frankly stumbled, uh, had some on-time delivery rates that were far below what we expected. Um, we've done a number of things since then uh, to address the issue. We've had uh, created uh, things like a, a database of cycle time that's allowed us to do a better job of understanding how long it takes to do things like obtain waivers from countries. Um, we've done a better job of managing our relationships with our suppliers and holding them to the dates that they provide for their on-time delivery of the goods that they're manufacturing. Um, and a few things like that uh, built a lot more clear visibility into the system so we can see where um, an agreement uh, exists and what the terms of that agreement are from the very beginning when the order is placed all the way to the point where it's delivered and man manage that uh, supply chain on a day-to-day -day basis and um, through all of last year have continually improved to the point where in December we had a record number of deliveries. In fact, I think in the last quarter of the calendar year of 2017, we delivered more than a third of all of the uh, HIV treatments that we had delivered in the life of the project, and we were able to achieve uh, over 80% on-time delivery, which is really the goal that we have as a project. So our responsibility now is to maintain that on-time delivery and, and continue to improve the efficiency of the supply chain so that the time it takes from order to delivery is continually reduced and the cost associated with the commodities themselves are brought down so that again we can provide more commodities for the money and um, I'd say that's been the biggest challenge that we've had in, in standing up and managing this large operation. That's a really big operation and one of the challenges of international development uh, programs is actually the sustainability. What happens after the program ends? How are you working with uh, local authorities, uh, health ministries, civil societies, uh, local communities? I think it's a really important question. Okay. You know, we, I said that you know, earlier we provide uh, commodities through our global supply chain. We also provide assistance. And the health system strengthening and technical assistance we provide is an important aspect of PSM. In the countries we work in, uh, I, I don't think there's any one way in which we're going to achieve sustainability. And yet it's probably the most important goal. I think uh, the, the organizations we work with are continuously improving, doing the supply chain uh, work that they do. And as we provide our assistance, we have to keep an eye on if we're creating the models and, and the systems that can be lasting and, and carry on after we're gone. One of the things I'd look at is the commercial solutions that we're drawing from and, and whether or not um, countries and, and organizations are able to adopt economic models that allow for local businesses and NGOs to participate in the supply chain in an incentivized way. So I mentioned 4PL, that's one example of how we're working in country to engage local organizations in a model that should last after we're gone. There are other things that are important as well. Through technology, we're doing a much better job as an international community and, and with PSM working uh, hand in hand at providing better data visibility down to the consumer level, down to the patient level. And ultimately, I think that's what's going to create a flip in our supply chain, our global health supply chain, where right now uh, data is collected and it's aggregated into a supply plan and, and 
then taken and, and put into orders that are coming back into the country. Eventually, and I hope, we believe sometime soon, in a number of places, we'll be getting the demand profiles of the patients and of the people that, that serve them for the commodities that are needed. And that demand profile will turn into a much more efficient supply chain um, in countries. So it will allow us to better understand not only patient needs, but also stock levels, um, challenges that are happening at the service delivery point level, and optimize um, the supply chain in country so that we can bring the cost down and not only provide more um, commodities for the money, but also create a better and sustainable system. Uh, one small example in Lesotho, we are working with um, the, the ministry and we worked at optimizing the trucking routes and we're able to save 35% um, on the cost of logistics just by doing that. We've done the same in Nigeria and um, other places where we've looked at how commodities get from a central warehouse out to the patient uh, and then the relative stock levels in each of the points in the supply chain and how do we manage those more effectively. So I think in coming years not only PSM, but the international community in general and, and the ministries that we work with are going to have the tools they need to do uh, much more uh, efficient management of the supply chains in country and by doing that, create a, a better economic model that's more sustainable. And um, like I said, hopefully work ourselves out of a job in the next uh, five years as this program comes to a conclusion. Great. And one more general question, how do you see the future of international development aid and the role of chemonics uh, in the coming years? So I think that international development aid will continue to be an important instrument for foreign assistance in the U.S. and, and globally. Um, the challenges that have of uh, the past that have been addressed uh, maybe are no longer a part of foreign assistance funding. I think about microfinance. When I was in Armenia, uh, we were working on a microfinance, microenterprise development project, and the microfinance institutions we supported um, began to transform and become more formal and managed by the central bank, more sustainable. Um, but also they began to get investment from uh, outside of Armenia. In fact, uh, in Armenia and Georgia at that time, in the mid-2000s, we were attracting investment from even Wall Street banks that were looking for uh, socially responsible investment. We don't see a lot of microfinance work uh, in, from USAID uh, these days. If we do, it's embedded in, in other projects. It's not singular like it used to be. It's a good example for me of how USAID and the development work we do has evolved. Uh, and there are a number of examples like that. Um, I think it will continue to evolve, uh, particularly as uh, we get into a areas where technology is helping to solve some of the challenges we face. In the case of microfinance, um, mobile phones and mobile payments have really propelled that, that area and they've been taken over by, uh, the, the payment systems have been taken over by banks and uh, by mobile phone providers. And so I think we'll continue to see technology coming into development circles and into the work we do. and, and creating opportunities for evolution and, and transformation that then allows us to work our way out of these different sectors we work in. Um. Right, so thank you, Jamie, for sharing with us uh, your experience on uh, development and we wish you all the best for the implementation of the program. Thank you. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.